Guys, good Monday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us um, on the I Love Seville network. It's great to be with you today. Um, thank you to the viewers and listeners who are liking and sharing the show, retweeting the show, asking questions, spreading the gospel that we call the I Love Seville show. Please do that. That's really the only thing we're asking you know, from you guys is, is let folks know the show exists, ask questions, share it and like it. That would mean the absolute world to us. I want to highlight... Um, you know, John Blair for doing that on LinkedIn, and viewers and listeners on LinkedIn, please jump in the mix. Florence Worley Via, thank you. Bill McChesney, thank you. Eggstore Sean, we really appreciate you joining the program of late. Thank you kindly. Blake Maley, am I saying it right, Blake? M-A-Y-L-E, is it Maley? Maley? Uh, Mr. DL, welcome to the program. Eggstore Sean, welcome to the program. Um, take a look at the screen. These are the headlines we're going to cover today. I want to give some significant props to the Charlottesville Police Department for how they manage the clearing of Tent Town. Oftentimes, we are quick to jump on the police and say nasty things about how they are um, doing business or servicing the community. I don't think it's always fair. I think it's, you know, in times of good and, and, and solid effort, we should give them props. It's kind of reminiscent, I'll use a football analogy. Folks rarely know the name of a long snapper in football or a holder in football. Folks rarely know the name maybe even of a kicker in football until that long snapper or that holder or the kicker misses a clutch kick and costs their team the game. Then everyone's quick to rip the long snapper, the holder, or the kicker for being the reason the team lost. Um, and that's holding folks accountable, and I understand that's part of sports, and I understand that's part of life. But if you're going to hold folks accountable, you should also give them props for when they do great work. So when a kicker or a holder or a snapper bang one through the uprights, they should get love and some attention, just like the police department. What happened on Saturday at 11 p.m. could have been potentially catastrophic. I think we were all watching from afar um, with bated breath and... Chief Cotches and the men and women of the Charlottesville Police Department handled that, you know, essentially uh, an eviction um, extremely well. I want to talk about that on today's show. I want to highlight um, a report that is out this weekend on uh, uh, Planning Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg um, purchasing a property on Park Street that is primo upzoning potential property. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago um, before it really hit the news cycle. Um, Commissioner Stolzenberg did this in, in, in an LLC, the LLC, Two Acre Wood LLC. If you'd like to do a little research on the GIS, I highlighted that a few weeks ago. And a few weeks ago, I stuck to the facts, um, and I'm going to stick to the facts today. And more information has come out on this transaction on Park Street, $899,000, this purchase uh, for two acres and a home that is needs some updating. I think that's safe to say. The closing attorney uh, utilized by Commissioner Stolzenberg um, is Nicole Scro. And Nicole Scro, I'll stick to the facts um, with Nicole as well. She's come on the I Love Seville show. I think you can show a photo of Nicole Scro on the I Love Seville show in the past um, mm. if you find that and put it on screen. 
her, not only is she an attorney, but she's also a developer and a, and a builder, a third-generation builder and developer. I, Nicole, I don't, I'm not going to mess up the name of your business. I hope I don't mess it up. It's, is it Gallifrey Builds? I think it's Gallifrey. Gallifrey? Yeah. Gallifreybuilds.com is the website. Gallifreybuilds.com. So on today's program, I want to talk about the... Um, I'm going to talk about a, an, uh, an appointed official, a planning commissioner, who's been the most vocal advocate of upzoning in Charlottesville City, buying a house in an area of the city that is going to be primo for upzoning, prime for upzoning and density, buying this house $899,000, according to the GIS, public record, buying this house, closing on this house a few months before upzoned is approved. It's now in the hands of city council. It went from planning commission, his team, to city council for approval. Buying this crib a couple of months before government policy is approved and by all accounts, council's going to approve this. And then immediately creating significant value and upside for his purchase that he made in August. So he bought a house in August for 899000 When the upzoning is approved, the value of this property is going to be significantly more, um, significantly more valuable. The commissioner did it in an LLC. Cool screw. So Nicole, Nicole Scrow's photo is on screen. This is Nicole on the I Love Seville show um, a couple of years ago. Um, the value of his property is going to uptick significantly. He bought it in an LLC that was, you know, I have no problem buying property in an LLC. I own property in an LLC. It's not my personal residence. Um, but investment property I have in an LLC, uh, multiple LLCs to be in fact. I have no problem with that. Um, I'm also, what, what adds to the dynamic of this storyline is the attorney he utilized to close on the property and set up the LLC is Nicole Scro, who's a builder and developer and has come before planning commission in the past and you would imagine would come before planning commission in the future. Um, many folks in the community um, concerned about optics here concerned about the disclosure period here, asking if the disclosure period should be a more, um, more robust or more frequent as opposed to late January when disclosures generally happen for assets for elected and appointed officials. So I'm going to unpack this story from a bunch of different angles. It's a dynamic story. It's a dynamic story of optics. It's a dynamic story of climbing the housing ladder. It's a dynamic story of Hey, you went from renting to buying a house. What's, what's the problem with that? It's a dynamic story of having a developer who's an attorney be your closing agent. Uh, a lot of layers to this particular onion on the Monday edition of the I Love Seville show. I want to explain ways we can support Reed's Grocery. Reed's Grocery on Preston Avenue is facing financial hardship. It's no secret by now. Perhaps going to Reed's Grocery on Preston Avenue and purchasing 
all the groceries possible in Reeds right now is not the best approach. Instead, perhaps the best approach is to purchase gift cards for Reeds that can be utilized later. If you purchase gift cards at Reeds, you're infusing the locally owned business with cash while not removing their limited assets, groceries from the shelves. So they can take this cash and then they can replenish their empty stock. I'm of the mindset that if you really want to support Reed's Grocery on Preston Avenue and, and, and the neighborhood that relies desperately on this grocery store, you do it in the gift card capacity. Um, I'll unpack that a little bit more on the program. I want to talk UVA beating UNC. I watched that game on Saturday evening. First, um, I was listening to it on the radio at my house because I couldn't get it on the CW network. I think a lot of you guys were in that position. And then I said to my wife around 8.30 in the evening, as she was you know, getting ready to you know, go to sleep, and the boys were upstairs asleep, I said, I need to go watch this game somewhere. And I sprinted to the uh, Lazy Parrot on Pantops to watch the second half, and it was just a fantastic outing for Wahoo Nation, in particular for Tony Elliott. His best win as a head coach, the greatest road win in UVA history, and by all accounts, you know, lovers and haters have said this preserves Coach Elliott and his job for, for one more year. We'll unpack that on today's program. I want to lead with a story that is not on the headlines. And it's from Richmond BizSense. This came out on Friday. Local bank deposits in the Richmond market fell by nearly $3 billion with a B, $3 billion over the past 12 months. Again, this story on Richmond BizSense. Nearly $3 billion in deposits from the Richmond area bank branches occurred over the last year, according to the latest market share report released in recent weeks by the FDIC. As of June 30th of this year, 260 bank branches in the Richmond region held $55 billion in deposits. That's down 5% from a year-early period, or it's down nearly $3 billion. Of the 27 banks with a retail presence in the local market in Richmond, 16 reported a decline in deposits in the Richmond location from June 30th of last year to June 30th of this year. Bank of America, Truist, and Wells Fargo are the big three in Richmond, they got stung the most. Um, the local banks really got stung in the Richmond market, the regional banks, and the national banks. Really what's happening here is, um, and unfortunately I think we're going to see more of this. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think the ones that are really in, 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 in a tough position right now are the, uh, are the smaller banks where the deposits are paramount. Um, I'm curious to see what that number is in the Charlottesville market, and I'll do a little bit of research for you. Um, I think there's just opportunity for folks as rates are rising um, to earn money in a different capacity or a better get a better return on investment um, than in banks, and, and you're seeing folks pulling money. Um, this has an impact on, on economies, local ones, very much behind the scenes because these banks become more cautious, 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 or hesitant to lend money. And when banks are more hesitant to lend money, whether that's a small business loan, whether that's a business line of credit, 
a home equity line of credit, whether that's um, funding uh, an entrepreneur's dream or a developer's project or an expansion of some capacity, that throttles economies. And it doesn't just throttle the economy tied to that respective business. It, ta- it, it throttles the entire supply chain. A good example of this, if you're looking to bring a business to market, you're looking to get a loan from a bank, and that bank is hesitant to give you that loan, and that business needs to expand a footprint of a building or hire more people, purchase more technology. You got contractors that are impacted here. You got the computer folks that are impacted here, the technology, the infrastructure setup folks that are impacted here. This could impact jobs. And, and, and right now, the reason I bring this to your attention um, is because I think this is going to potentially, uh, potentially worsen. I mean, it's coinciding with rising interest rates, which have caused customers to chase better yields elsewhere. That will continue as rates get higher. The rates this morning on a 30 fix were in the 8.3 range, 8.3%. And a lot of people say that it's going to get to 9% before it gets to 5 or 6%. So follow this story very closely, please. I wanted to lead with that because I think it's something that's a headwind, a headwind for a lot of local markets. Now, I want to get to the lead of the show and the lead of this program, and we'll weave Judah Wickhauer in with the two-shot. I don't know about you, but I was following with bated breath the uh, Tent Town teardown. Hmm. And the Tent Town teardown, I think, went as smoothly as could be. I want to highlight what I saw firsthand. The police chief, Michael Kochis, in the days leading to the Saturday 11 p.m. curfew reinstatement, was going by the tents in the park Hmm. and speaking to tent town citizens in the most kind and honest and approachable and laid-back way as possible. I think Kachis has many skills, and one of the skills Kachis has is his approachability and his understanding of how to, I don't want to use the word code switch, because code switch, what he's doing is authentic. Yeah, definitely. He listened to learn, and he listened and then explained the circumstances and the outcomes and where the folks in Tent Town could go, whether it's Patcham, whether it's the Salvation Army. Yeah. Now, I've heard from friends that are building owners that the citizens of Tent Town have not all migrated to Patchum or the Salvation Army. They're now along the railroad tracks on West Main Street. Yeah. And there's an encampment that sprung up along those tracks behind the buildings on West Main Street. Um, it was to be expected that when Tent Town was cleared out, some folks were going to go somewhere. Um, yeah. But first, I want to applaud the police, mm-hmm. Chief Cotches. Hall Spencer was there Saturday at 11 p.m., and I follow a number of the journalists locally on Twitter, and they indicated at 11 o'clock there wasn't even much of a police presence. Yeah, it sounds like 
to me that the um, they pretty much had it cleared out uh, beforehand. So when eleven rolled around, there wasn't really anything to do. Right. Just great planning. I mean, which is great management. <clears throat> definitely. Great foresight. Great planning. Yeah. And 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 guys, we should give the we should champion the community when it does something extremely well. Mm-hmm. This tent town teardown was done extremely well. How many of you were worried mm-hmm. that at 11 o'clock on Saturday, the proverbial you-know-what was going to hit the fan? I certainly was. And there were protesters. This is also important to highlight. There was a, a, a fairly large group of protesters that started at 10 Town and walked up and down the downtown mall protesting this eviction. And I have no problem with protesting. Protesting is our right of what we do. These protesters went from the Ting Pavilion to the Omni and back. They started in Tent Town. But that protest was done peacefully. So you had a peaceful eviction, a peaceful Tent Town teardown, a peaceful protest, no arrests made, and at the 11 o'clock hour, the police weren't really in sight. The Salvation Army is raising funds to get more beds mm-hmm. to help the homeless. Support the Salvation Army. Patcham opened up earlier to help the homeless. The police department, days prior to the eviction, were helping the homeless, either by helping them move the tents themselves, the police helping to move, yeah. or by the actual chief going by tent to tent to tent saying, here's the plan, here's what's coming, treating folks in very human fashion. Mm-hmm. This is a success for Charlottesville. Now, it's important to emphasize, what's a cause for concern for Charlottesville is the homeless population is rising. And it's rising at a time that the weather's getting cold. Yeah. And whether we want to admit this or not, it's not going to diminish or decrease the population anytime soon. We have a housing crisis on our hands. We have an ecosystem that's extremely costly. HUD area, median income per household, 123300 This number will escalate. Yeah, no doubt. So we have to be honest with ourselves and figure out a solution for a population that's growing and asking for help. And I don't think that solution is a growing encampment on West Main Street by the railroad tracks. No. I think that solution is helping the Salvation Army raise as much money as possible so it can 2x the available beds. The Salvation Army specializes in this. Mm -hmm. That's one way to allocate your charitable dollars. I think what Sam Sanders did was, in the grand scheme of things, it backfired on him. I think the city manager, Sam Sanders, lost a lot of goodwill and equity with many in the community. I think Sam Sanders, the city manager, put his police department in a very dangerous position. And I think the police department managed that very dangerous position as well as it could and exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. Asking the police department to be evictors of a population in a public park was a precarious spot to be. Yeah. 
But Chief Cotchis managed it fantastically well. No doubt. It's not the police department's job to evict people from public parks that are turned into campgrounds by local government. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, if you think that kind of work or effort is going to help the police department in Charlottesville fill its ranks and the empty seats and the empty positions it has in its department, you're crazy. Folks, don't get into policing or police work to be in the eviction business. They don't get into policing or want to join a police force to manage the collateral damage of a $250,000 a year city manager. Yeah. All right, that's my take on that. I want to go to the next topic, and you can put the lower, lower third on screen. Put the third one on screen. Report, Planning Commission buys Park Street home if you could. Um, you know, I alluded to this a few weeks ago. I alluded to this a few weeks ago. This is, I think, one of the reasons why you watch the program. Viewers and listeners, I'll set the stage, then I'll get to your comments. I talked a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and I'm, on the, I'm on the GIS, I'd say, every day. I'm on the MLS, on Paragon, and the GIS easily every day. Ask my wife. I asked a few weeks ago, what's the two-acre wood LLC that purchased 1115 Park Street for $899,000 on August 18th? Then I explained who purchased 1115. One five Park Street, Two Acre Wood LLC for eight hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. I explained it was the Planning Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg. Everything I'm going to say right now, Mr. Stolzenberg, I know you watch and listen to the show is going to be fact. It's going to be factual. On the eighteenth of August, a property closed. The purchaser of the property was an LLC, Two Acre Wood LLC. A recently started, recently launched LLC. The home, if you look at 1115 Park Street, I mean, now there's literally no digital secrets. You type in 1115 Park Street, you pull up Zillow, you pull up Realtor.com, whatever you want to pull up. You can take a digital tour of the property. You can see the house. You can see the lot size. You can see photos tied to the house. Needs updating, no question about it. Courtney Stewart put out a report over this over the weekend. She's a WINA. She's a great reporter. Community's lucky to have Courtney Stewart here. Lot size is just under two acres. The home was built in 1959. I asked the question a few weeks ago. There's a planning commissioner buying a property in an LLC in the middle of August, a few months before upzoning is approved, I asked, I asked the question a couple of weeks ago, this property, will it not increase dramatically in value once upzoning is approved because it's within a significantly um, high density potential area of the city? Of course it's going to appreciate in value significantly. I asked the question a few weeks ago, if a planning commissioner buys a property in August, 
a few months before the property is um, up zone. What are the optics of it? Courtney Stewart's report highlights the fact that Nicole Scro is the closing attorney. Um, Nicole Scro, and everything I'm saying here, Nicole's also fact, um, is a builder and a developer. What was the name of the business, Judah? Uh, Gallifrey. Thank you. Gallifreybuilds.com. I asked this question today. You have an attorney who's a developer and a builder that comes before planning commission. Has come before planning commission. Will most likely come before planning a commission again. She was the closing agent for a planning commissioner. A planning commissioner who bought a property within an LLC a few months before upzoning was approved. A property that was not disclosed on the record until John Hasek brought it to the attention of Council and Planning Commission during Planning Commission meetings. The disclosure period for elected officials and appointed officials is the end of January. So technically, this property could have gone until the end of January before the appointed official, Planning Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg, disclosed it, to, disclosed it on the record. I will ask local government to do the following. Perhaps your disclosure period should be more frequent. Instead of it being once a year at the end of January, perhaps it should be minimum quarterly, four times a year. Because a property that's purchased in August that does not get disclosed on the record until the end of January, unless, if, unless a public citizen insists or papers the trail or papers the public record about this purchase, that offers um, concern. It's concerning. I also, you know, perhaps this is for Mr. Stolzenberg. Utilizing a developer and a builder who's also an attorney as your closing agent I don't know <laughs> adds um, a layer to this story a dynamic to this story that certainly continues the conversation certainly continues the conversation. Will Mr. Stolzenberg have to recuse himself if Ms. Groh comes before planning commission in the near future? It's a fair question. Will the community check the paper trail in previous instances where Ms. Groh has gone before Planning Commission, just to reread what was on said trail again to make sure everything was above board. I'm sure folks in this community are doing that. In fact, I know folks in this community are doing that. A lot of questions coming on the feed. This is from Deep Throat. This is a long one. 
Deep Throat says, one, is it inappropriate for a planning commissioner to, to own land, to buy land? He says, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Deep Throat says, did Rory violate existing rules on disclosure? No. Deep Throat says the rules are very weak, but that's not his fault. Deep Throat says, did the city once again undermine confidence by failing to have good processes and procedures in place? Absolutely, yes. I concur with that. He says, the city should have guidelines not just on an annual certification of holdings, but instant disclosure also on any trades that result in a change of beneficial ownership and land in the city. That will keep that will help protect commissioners from any appearance of impropriety. So he's asking for instantaneous disclosure if a commissioner or elected official. I will take it a step further. It should be instantaneous disclosure if a, a commissioner, an elected official, or anyone in City Hall makes a purchase in the city. Because the thinking from an average Joe or average Sally standpoint is inside information. And while that may not be the case, that is the thinking. Yeah. So I said that disclosure period should be quarterly. Deep Throat says it should be instantaneous. Hmm. He also says, is it hypocritical for a person who has railed against single-family housing on environmental grounds, large lots, exclusionary neighborhoods, to buy a single-family house on a large, large lot in a posh neighborhood? Deep Throat says, for a person who has criticized the participation of people in the draft zoning ordinance debate because they own expensive houses, then he goes and buys a $900,000 home. For a person who has posted about other people's home values and where they live on Twitter to use an anonymous LLC to hide his ownership, it certainly feels that it is very hypocritical. Rory Stolzenberg and the Courtney Stewart report said the reason he archived it in, in an LLC was because he was a Jewish man in Charlottesville, and in Charlottesville we have a number of Nazis who are looking to target hmm. Jewish folks. And that's why he archived or he purchased this property in Two Acre Wood LLC. Frankly, it's backfired because this purchase has gotten even more attention for Mr. Stolzenberg than if he just did it as Mr. Stolzenberg the person. Right. By purchasing it in this LLC, Two Acre Wood LLC, it became more of a story. And now that it's become more of a story, it's become even more obvious or the attention is even greater, the spotlight even more significant on him and where he's going to reside. So it's backfired. The clandestine nature of doing this has backfired. It's done the antithesis of being on the DL or clandestine. Yeah. Deep Throat has this comment as well. Is it problematic to see a link to Nicole Scrow in all of this? Deep Throat says, yes, her involvement seems an odd choice. That by itself may not be a problem, but it bears explanation. And he also says that Rory Stolzenberg did not respond to Courtney Stewart's question about Nicole Scrow's involvement. And he closes by saying this, Deep Throat does, I am Jewish. I'm not cowering under a rock. I find that to be ridiculous. That's what Deep Throat said. This is why I brought this up a few weeks ago. Why I brought it up a few weeks ago, I had more information um, about this, and I did not want to be the, um, 
first to bring this to light. Um, a couple of things I want to cons also throw out there. Do we know for 100% certainty that it was an $899,000 cash purchase? A lot of folks are saying it was $899,000 all cash. Um, I don't have 100% certainty on that. I will say that I have purchased commercial property in the names of LLCs many times, and I've done seller finance deals that did not involve banks, where the owner of the property that I'm buying the property from, the, the people, the couple, the entity, the LLC that I'm buying the property from, agree to carry the paper. And I give them an upfront sizable down payment. We set an interest rate and we set a term where the loan's going to be paid off over this period of time. That does not involve bank financing. Oftentimes, in fact, I would say for the mortgage brokers out there, there's not many, uh, there's not many, um, I mean, is there a bank that will allow you to purchase your primary residence in an LLC? I mean, the only, the only way that's going to happen is if you're paying all cash. So that's why a lot of folks are saying this is an all-cash purchase. Deep Throat says if there is financing, there would be a lien registered in the deed book. There is none, at least none I can find. It's a dynamic story. It's a dynamic story because um, upzoning has been such a divisive topic. That's why. It's a dynamic story because um, the closing attorney also is a developer and a builder that goes or has gone before commission and likely will go before planning commission again. It's a dynamic story because the city's disclosure policy was late January and upzoning probably would have been approved by then and the purchase was made well before then. The disclosure period must be updated. It can't be once a year at the end of January because then you can tweak the timeline. And I'm not saying that was done here. I am not saying that was done here. But I think we're all in agreement that the disclosure periods should be more frequent and frankly, should be more transparent. I believe it was at the uh, insistence of the mayor, who's right down the hall, that planning commission disclose uh, purchases and assets that were made between last January and now. So it took council to get involved and say, hey, we need to, we got a, a budding issue here. Disclose what we've done. So that's the story. Bill McChesney says the real stretch of all this is using Nazi as, a, as an excuse to put it in LLC. <coughs> that's what Deep Throat says. You disagree with that? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I Do we have a Nazi problem in Charlottesville? I mean, I, maybe we do. I, I honestly don't know. Uh, uh, 
Royce Rosenberg is one of the smartest guys I know, and uh, I mean, he's got a reason for doing what he what he's doing. Without uh, without talking to him or knowing more about it, I honestly don't know. Um, is I'll ask the the audience: Is that something that uh, that we should be worried about? You're saying Nazis? Yeah. Well, I will say this: Don Gathers, um, Don Gathers was a one-time candidate for city council. Mm-hmm. Don Gathers has come on this program before. I think you have his photo. You can put on screen. Don Gathers. I think you have Nicole's photo you can also put back on screen, too. Don Gathers was very vocal after Unite the Right, August 12, 2017. He's a black man, and he was uh, personally um, attacked, doxxed, pursued by Nazis to the point that um, law enforcement had to intervene. And it's unfortunate the nature of the world we live in where that happens. And, you know, perhaps that was one of the reasons Mr. Gathers chose not to run for council in 2019. Mr. Gathers at the time cited health issues and, and issues with his, um, with his health as the reason why he did not run. But Mr. Gathers in 2019 had a very uh, legitimate opportunity to win a spot on city council. He would have competed in the Lloyd Snook, Michael Payne, Cena McGill, Bellamy Brown election cycle. And Mr. Gathers is a community force, very electable, very well liked, <coughs> lives in the 10th and Page neighborhood. I'm not one to say yay or nay when it comes to outside there's, pressures from Nazis. There's Don Gathers. Don Gathers is on screen. Thank you, Judah. Look at the screen now, and you'll see Mr. Gathers. Look at the screen here in a matter of moments, and you'll see the developer and builder and closing attorney, Nicole Scro on the program as well. Um, I think I've covered this well. Um, viewers and listeners, I think I've been very fair and have covered this well. Uh, Mr. DL, um, I'm not going to mention this comment. I have respect for what you send me, Mr. DL, but I have heard otherwise that this is no longer the case, what you are sending me, sir. Mr. DL is not deep throat. Those are two different people. Mr. DL, I have heard this is no longer the case. And it's just incorrectly cited online. Just to give you a heads up. Um, all right, next photo I want to have on screen, um, positive stories. Positive, positive, positive. Are you ready for this, Judah? Superfly Brewing Company is now open on Preston Avenue. That's great. That's fantastic. Superfly Brewing Company open on Preston Avenue next to Shenandoah Joe, Joe's. Mm-hmm. You have a nice little uh, brewery trail there, right? No doubt. You can start at Superfly. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's walk through it together as if we were doing a craft beer crawl, okay? All right. You and me. You want to look up the, uh, the Google Maps? Yeah. I think it would go Superfly by Shenandoah Joe's, right? And Superfly opened with, um, they said this, they had two beers on tap a couple days ago. 
the Golden Torch, which is an English IPA at 5.4%, and Goodbye Hello, a Belgian wit at 5%. Do you like Belgian wits? Yeah, sometimes. That I've was 5%. Some, That's I've, a cl- some, I've definitely had some good ones. <laughs> so you could go Superfly Brewing Company, right, J-Dubs? Yeah. And then from Superfly, where would you go? Superfly, you Random Row? Rockfish. Oh, that's right. Rockfish. Yeah. Go ahead. Then, and then, then Random Row. Then Random Row. Superfly, Rockfish to Random Row. Yeah. Then you could go South Street. Yeah, South Street. And um, Three Notched. Definitely. Viewers and listeners, help me out here. What am I missing? South Street and Three Notched. I think that's it now. No, you got uh, you got um, Decipher Brewing Company. Where's oh, is that uh, Woolen Mills? Yeah, that's right. You got Decipher. Yeah. You got Selvage Brewing Company. Although a lot of people don't realize this, Selvage Brewing Company is going to open across from the Boarshead Resort on Ivy Road, and hmm. the Grit Coffee Distillery, and the back of Hunter Craig's Bel Air Place. And Salvage Brewery is going to take, it's going to close its operations in the wool factory hmm. because it's got such significant demand for private events, for, for rentouts, for weddings, for hosting parties there. It was closing the brewery so many times that it said, you know what, let's just turn this fully into an event space. And our sister company is Grit Coffee. And yep. let's take the brewery <laughs> to the distillery location previously of Grit Coffee and let's make a brewery there. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to crush it on Ivy Road across from the Boar's Head. Nice. I think that entire area is, is begging hand in hand and, and, and on bended knee for more options uh, along the Ivy Road quarter. So that's not a bad crawl, dude. That's, that's reminiscent of Asheville. You go Superfly. What about Star Hill downtown? Oh, did they have? Oh, you're right. That's, Star Hill at that... Dairy Market and Devil's Backbone on West Main Street. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's write these down. Viewers and listeners, help me out. John Blair says, Superfly opening is great news. Also, have either of you noticed that the old Hardy's on 5th Street has been demolished? I believe there were plans for a sheets at that location. I think it's a Wawa, John. Hmm. I think that's a Wawa at uh, the old Hardy's location. Wawa's taken over. And you need to update the lower third if you could. Um, so Superfly on Preston. From Superfly, you go to Rockfish on Preston. Random row, no, frankly, you would go Superfly to across the street, Dairy Market, Star Hill. Yeah. Superfly to Star Hill, Star Hill to Rockfish, Rockfish to Random Row. Yeah. From Random Row, you could choose to cut across to West Main if you wanted to, and you could go to Devil's Backbone. That's five. And then from Devil's Backbone, you can walk down West Main Street to South Street, six. Three Notch 7, Decipher 8, and Selvage 9. Nine yeah. within a nice little walking trail. No doubt. Be feeling real good there. And then you come down to, from, uh, from Willow Mills, you could hit, um, you'd hit uh, Hogwaller, right? Just yeah. come out to, uh, come out to the Oh, bottom. Hogwaller Brewing Company. Good Lord, I forgot Hogwaller. You yeah. go Hogwaller on High Street. You go from Selvage to Hogwaller. There ten, you go. Ten spots. Ten spots. You'd be feeling really good. Interestingly, while I was uh, at the Lazy Parrot watching the game, 
they had high lie on tap for $3.50 a pint. High lie the IPA. Lazy Parrot. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it's over 7%. Yeah. High, the Lazy Parrot on Pantops has, in very DL fashion, become one of the deepest taps, wow. the most taps of bars in Charlottesville and Almora County. Impressive. They got two bars, too. Kevin Kirby, the owner of the Lazy Parrot, Cassie Kirby, his daughter, have the most... Um, who has more taps than Kevin Kirby at the Lazy Parrot amongst their two bars? So many, how, how many taps do we think are at the Lazy Parrot? Anybody know? Vanessa Parkhill says, don't forget Hogwaller. Thank you, Vanessa. Great call. She's in Earliesville. Bill McChesney says the same. I would say Janice Boyce Trevilian said, you guys forgot Star Hill on Dairy Market. Thank you for the reminder. Ten options that you can walk to. Yeah. Lazy Parrot, Charlottesville City, and Almoral County. Is it top five most beer taps in Charlottesville City and Almoral County right now? Viewers and listeners, let me know who has more than that. I sincerely would like to know. Because I think the Lazy Parrot, amongst its two bars, has 20 to 30. Double Horseshoe Saloon closed Cully Baggett. Cully Baggett, the developer, talks about the Double Horseshoe Saloon on High Street. Interestingly, the Double Horseshoe Saloon on High Street was purchased by Bo Carrington. Bo Carrington is the developer that's got the agreement on paper with Wendell Wood to bring the apartments to the floodplain on High Street. And the reason he purchased the Double Horseshoe Saloon, Bo Carrington, the Covenant School graduate, the Duke graduate, played lacrosse at Duke University. What's his uh, company called? It's Seven Something. Hold on one second and I'll find it for you. Bo Carrington is the principal at Seven Something, Seven Development. Seven Development, and he's a partner at Blue Sky. Mr. Carrington has got an agreement with Wendell Wood to develop apartments in the floodplain on the Rivanna River. It is now coming down to a lawsuit with the city. His team, represented by Valerie Long, who's phenomenal at her job. Phenomenal at her job. He purchased the Double Horseshoe Saloon as an alternative exit or another path for entry and exit from this apartment complex that he's trying to bring to market. Interesting. Purchased it to tear it down. And before I get off this topic, I... I'm curious. Maria Marshall Barnes says Sedona Tap House. I would think Lazy Parrot, when you consider Charlottesville City and Almoro County, because I believe that's Almoro County. I think anything on the other side of Freebridge is Almoro County. And the Lazy Parrot is in that Pantop Shopping Center, which is on the other side of the bridge. If you took Charlottesville City and Almoro County, I would say the Lazy Parrot, with its two bars, has the most beer taps, or top five. I'll, I'll hedge. I'll hedge risk here. I'm going to hedge risk here. Top five most taps of any watering hole. Hmm. Someone proved me wrong. 
Yes, Cully Baggett. Right next to Double Horseshoe Saloon was a, was a Hogwaller Brewing Company. That opened right next to uh, Double Horseshoe Saloon. You are correct, sir. Mm. And Vanessa Parkhill says Cardinal Hall has a lot of taps. Cardinal Hall is up there as well. No doubt. No doubt about that, Vanessa. You know your beer. Did you go, Vanessa Parkhill, to uh, Cardinal Hall to watch the Penn State game with your friends and family? If so, it's a great place to watch sports. All right, I want to go to the next topic, and then I'm going to read viewer and listener comments. So viewer and listener, put your comments in the comments feed, and I will relay them uh, live on air. Ginny Hu, welcome to the show. We love when you watch the program, Ginny Hu. Um, Here's how we should support Reed's Grocery. We should support Reed's Grocery with gift cards. Buy gift cards at Reed's Grocery that we can use later. Going to Reed's Grocery right now and spending money on groceries is going to empty the shelves even more. It's like what happened during the pandemic. There was a shortage of toilet paper and there was a shortage of hand sanitizer. And because the shortage of toilet paper and hand sanitizer made the news cycle, people sprinted to Costco and to these wholesale providers and to these grocery stores and bought more toilet paper and hand sanitizer, which exasperated the problem. I wonder if some people still have are still Stockpiles. trying to use up that toilet paper. From- I, I would 100%. But if you think about it, toilet paper in 2023 versus toilet paper in 2020 or hand sanitizer in 2023 versus hand, sin- hand, hand sanitizer in 2020, it's now, a, it's now a, an asset. Because the cost of toilet paper in 2023 versus the cost of toilet paper in 2020 has increased. Same with hand sanitizer. So if you have a stockpile of double-ply tissue or toilet paper or hand sanitizer, you could probably you, sell those on the black market for like a 30 or 40% markup. And even if you don't, you've still probably saved yourself somewhere in the, in the range of dollars. It's not like it goes bad. It's not like produce right. or meat. Yeah. With the grocery store with Reed's, if we sprint to Reed's and buy the limited groceries that are on the grocery shelves, that's going to make the store look more barren, which is going to further exasperate the problem, in particular for the neighborhood that relies on Reed's. The 10th and Page, Fifeville, Rose Hill, the neighborhood right around Reed's, Mm. they rely on this grocery store for food and for hygiene and for stuff to live, food to live. Right. Products to live. <clears throat> if a bunch of folks that normally shop at Kroger or Giant or Harris Teeter or Wegmans or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's sprint to Reed's, that's going to cannibalize the inventory that's on the shelves for the neighborhood. It's going to hurt the neighborhood and it's going to make the shelves more barren. The folks that are shopping at Wegmans, at Kroger, at Giant, at Whole Foods, at Trader Joe's, these other grocery stores, if you want to help, go buy gift cards. I mean, at some point, Reed's has to figure this out. Well, because if people buying, if people shopping there is going to cause them to run out of everything, I mean, you, you can't, you don't have a market if you don't have anything to sell. Listen to this. Sue Clements, the Clements family is the owner of Reed's Grocery on Preston Avenue. And she said, since the pandemic, the store has lost 20% of its profits since the pandemic. Wow. 20%. And a lot of people don't realize this. Grocery stores, and Travis Hackworth realizes this. He's watching in Danville. He's from the grocery business. He grew up in a grocery family. 
grocery stores are operating in very slim margins. I'm talking single percentage point margins. And yeah. grocery stores that don't have economies of scale or purchasing power or multiple locations to fatten those margins are the ones that are getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. Even the big grocery stores that have a bunch of locations are getting squeezed because people are now using Instacart and online ordering and not going to the stores. So how can a <coughs> big grocery store that's 30,000, 40,000 square feet compete with a grocery, uh, grocery delivery service that delivers to your front door, Walmart, Target, Amazon? Yeah. The future of grocery stores, whether people want to admit this or not, the future of grocery stores are not 30 and 40,000 square feet stores that are paying astronomical rent to federal realty, Harris Teeter and Kroger. That's not the future of the grocery business. The future of the grocery business is you putting a list online with 200 items and every week just going on your phone and clicking buy again and having your credit card information and your home address saved online, and then the food is delivered three hours later to your house. I mean, has anyone tried? Of course you have. My wife talks about this all the time. Shopping with a baby at a grocery store or shopping with a baby and a a five-and-a-half-year-old at a grocery store? And we only have two. Some have three, four, five, six kids. Mm -hmm. What do you think start to finish the time it takes to go grocery shopping? Hours? Getting in your car, going shopping, buying the groceries, taking them from the grocery store, putting them in your car, driving home, hours. Gift cards for reads. Gift cards for reads, please. Gift cards. Um, One more football. Let's talk football here, and then I'll get to your comments. Comments, your comments here in a matter of moments, ladies and gentlemen. Put your comments in the feed anywhere you're watching. Ginny Hu says the Lazy Parrot easily has 20 taps, but she orders buckets, um, though. They had, thank you, Ginny Hu, for your comment. I love when you watch the show. I mention this live on air. Judah, they had buckets of Bud Light at the Lazy Parrot. Six Bud Light bottles for $12. That's Bud. No, but, oh, come on. I, I get what you're saying. You're a craft beer guy. But six bottles of Bud Light for 12 bucks? Yeah, that's good. Two bucks, a, two bucks a bottle? They were selling High Life for $3.50 a pint. That's just that's a fantastic price. Um, UVA football, did you watch the game? If you did not watch the game, you, watched, you missed one of the best games I've ever seen from a Virginia football standpoint. It had drama. It had intrigue. It had Mike Hollins scoring touchdowns left and right, and then Mike Hollins fumbling the ball through the end zone to give North Carolina another shot. It had an interception at the end of the ball game. It had um, a defense playing well and offense scoring points. It had North Carolina, a top 10 team in the country, looking extremely average. It had all the elements of a fantastic football game, and it most importantly finished with a Virginia football victory. If you can change the lower third and put it on a one-shot, that would be great. Um, Oh, we're on a one-shot. Thank you very much, Judah. I appreciate that. It's proud of this team. 
Tony Elliott has caught more heat than just about any person in this community. And he beat a top 10 team and now has the greatest victory, road victory, road victory in Virginia football history. It's a big deal. And whether you're a hater or you're a lover, Tony Elliott has saved his job for another year with that win against UNC. He will be the coach of UVA football in 2024. And he has a handful of games left to get even more victories on his resume. The coach of the week, Tony Elliott. The following teams left Miami in Coral Gables, Georgia Tech in Scott Stadium, Louisville at Louisville, Duke in Scott Stadium, and Virginia Tech in Scott Stadium. Not an easy way to close the season. But he just beat a top 10 team in the country. It was not on national TV. My only disappointment there that it was not on national TV. All these other games, Tennessee game, national TV. Maryland game, national TV. NC State, national TV. Would have loved if that North Carolina game was on national TV. We'll talk about this contest tomorrow at 10.15 a.m. with Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe on the Jerry and Jerry Show right here on the I Love Seville Network. Check out jerryratcliffe.com for all your UVA coverage. <clears throat> that show is really taking off the Jerry and Jerry Show. Now I want to get to comments. This is a fantastic comment from Grayson who watches in North Downtown. Jerry, your show is really taking off, to speak of taking off. I often tell you and Judah that when we walk the dogs around the neighborhood, we stop in our neighbor's yards, and topics from your show is what we talk about. I want to thank you and Judah for doing the community a great service for the content you bring to the community. And yes, I remember you talking about Two Acre Wood weeks ago. It's something we've talked about on our walks, my wife and I. Keep up the good work, Judah and Jerry. Give some props right there. Thank you. Vanessa Parkle said she did go to Cardinal Hall to watch Penn State play Ohio State on Saturday. We had a great time despite the outcome of the game. It was a great place to watch football. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville. Thank you, Vanessa. We've also enjoyed going there. Bill McChesney, for just the two of us, Bill and his wife, they use two carts to buy groceries, and it takes two hours for grocery shopping. And it's got to be a lot of groceries. Two people, two hours. I would imagine he's buying, uh, buying deep so he doesn't have to go that often. All right. Cully in Greene County, congrats to the Wahoos, but as a diehard Tar Heel, this was heartbreaking. It's tough to be undefeated, and it was bound to happen. Cully, thank you for commenting today. Spencer watching the program. I echo what Grayson said. Jerry and Judah are appointment TV for me and our crew on the job sites. Thank you. Thank you. Appointment TV. Appreciate that. Anything you want to close with, J-Dubs? And we want you to check out the Blue Ridge Venture Fund. Go to BlueRidgeVentureFund.com, BlueRidgeVentureFund.com. We're doing a really good job of, of, of connecting capital with businesses that need it. 
And one of the reasons we launched the Blue Ridge Venture Fund was the lending environment. We realized months ago that it was going to tighten. And we wanted to help solve, or we wanted to contribute to this community. Thoughts for you, J-Dub. Show is yours. I'm glad that... Uh <clears throat> I'm glad that the um, the issue in the park has been resolved, um, and I'm excited about the um, all the great breweries we've got around here. Uh, can't wait to check some of these places out. Uh, have been to haven't been to Decipher in quite a while, and uh, now I've got a reason to uh, hit them all up. Carol Thorpe says, I found it odd that no news outlet either than Rob Schilling provided video footage of the roughly 50 protesters loudly marching on the downtown mall Saturday night and rallying in the park, goading the police. Both NBC and CBS had live reporters and cameras down there. Sometimes it's better not to give them press. <clears throat> I'll close with this. This is, you know what tomorrow is? Viewers and listeners, ready for this? Tomorrow, we're two weeks away from election day. Tomorrow is two weeks removed from election day in Charlottesville and in Almoral County and across the Commonwealth. And many crystal ball prognosticators have said that Virginia is a bellwether state and the national parties, the national rainmakers, kingmakers, are going to be watching what happens in Virginia, in the House, in the Senate, and at local levels. The person who could be watching this extremely closely is Glenn Youngkin, the governor. No doubt. Folks have said if things go a certain way, Governor Yunkin jumps in the race and makes a push for the White House because he can't run for governor again. Yunkin all day, every day, over Trump on the Republican ticket. All day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Yunkin over Trump on the Republican ticket. That's the end of the program. Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, the Monday edition of the I Love Seville show. My friends, thank you for watching the show. You guys have a good, good afternoon. We'll see you tomorrow at 1230. Take care.